Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hercules Invictus, and tonight I am greatly honored to announce that on our Age of Heroes segment, we'll be speaking with Rich Hallahan from Alumni in Recovery, a powerful organization I recently uh, learned about and I'm looking forward to working with. Greetings and welcome, Rich. Hello. Hello, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing phenomenally uh, great, and uh, I've uh, read through your website and I'm very impressed with what uh, um, Alumni Recovery is doing. Uh, would you care to share a little bit about the, the history of the organization, how it came about, and how you became part of it? Oh, absolutely. And, and we appreciate this opportunity to spread the awareness on uh, how destructive this disease can be of uh, addiction. Indeed. Um, the, yeah, the goals of the uh, organization really are to foster awareness of the disease throughout the communities and to mitigate the current stigma that's associated with the disease. Uh, Alumni in Recovery is a volunteer not-for-profit organization. It was established about six years ago by Nancy LeBeau. She's the energy behind it. Um, it offers its free services to community groups and the schools, which is very important, within those communities. And we collaborate with them and the mental health people uh, in order to bring, uh, you know, uh, awareness to the student body uh, as well as to the uh, community. The school section was how this started. It was peer-to-peer school um, sharing, and it provides a safe and reliable, we, we provide, I should say, safe and reliable young adults who are in extended recovery. Now, these young adults are alumni of all local schools in the area here, and mm-hmm. we send them in in a pair to assemblies of teens and preteens. Now, these kids can identify, the children can identify with the speaker's feelings and the speaker's experiences. It's a little different than being lectured to by authority figures. 
It encourages oh, them to make. Yeah, that, that's an amazing thing I found. I found that uh, um, the, the fact that you're making the, uh, um, the the circumstance real by having people who are going through this or have gone through it sharing their stories. This way uh, the kids are not being lectured to, you know, uh, they're not sure. being taught something. Something is being shared, something very profound and very real. Yes, it's that AA-type philosophy that's been so successful. Uh, the sharing it encourages them to make positive choices and avoid the, the pitfalls of self-medication. We've we've added to that program in the last year and a half, and that's where I come in. And we've got a parent uh, program as well. Now the parents don't go in and talk to the school children. We leave that to their peers, these folks that we send in who are in extended recovery. The parent program. Um, we're all parents who have experienced addiction loss ourselves personally, um, and we are more focused on community events uh, than the schools. We can we arrange, help arrange some of the schools, but we basically talk to parents and community groups, PTAs, stigma events, um, you know, areas like that. And and uh, uh, we all come right now. We all come from a bereavement circle called Hope and Healing up in Allendale, uh, where we have uh, an exclusive circle of grief just for people who have experienced addiction death. And the reason that was established five or six years ago was because of the stigma of addiction. Many of the established bereavement groups were not as welcoming as you might have expected. Mm. They felt that it was a disease of choice. You know, and uh, it was necessary to create this group. It has about, I don't know, about 25 or 30 participants twice a month. They rotate in and out, um, and it's been very beneficial to me, I can tell you that. Um, as far as the disease goes, uh-huh. the, the disease, it is, you know, we have to stop thinking it's a choice. It's, that's been going on for forever, that, you know, we can cut the head off the snake, we can arrest ourselves out of it. None of it works. We've got to get the stigma out of it. It is a disease. It is a disease as defined by the United States government agencies, uh, mainly because it um, is progressive and it kills. That qualifies as a disease. The science yes. people have also confirmed that there's chemical changes in the brain almost immediately. It's a brain disease. And we have to we have to wrap our arms around that, you know, really, Hercules. Um. Oh, definitely. And um, you share your story to uh, other parents and to uh, other adults, making it real for them uh, as well. Yes, we do. A, we just did one in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Um, it was a Monday night uh, thing. We had about a hundred people. Um, some are some are people in recovery. Some are recovery uh, um, companies, you know, recovery uh, agencies and uh, agencies of the Bergen County government that deal with recovery. Um, we also had the local police and fire and ambulance. Uh, it was very well attended. Um, it was, it, we thought it was uh, very well attended. And we had what we do now, it's, it's progressed. We have a black poster project. And what we yeah, do is we surround them. What's that? I saw the Black Poster Project uh, on yes. the webpage. That's awesome. Yes, it is awesome. It brings it, it really brings it home. In this particular case, 
there were 90 posters of wow. deceased loved ones. 90. Wow. And uh, I can tell you that just as an anecdote, anecdote of this, the, the, there was two that were actually brother and sister. And they oh. came from that very, very town. So, I mean, it's a heartbreaking thing, but it does drive home to the parents that this is a, a serious epidemic. Um, we know the experts call this the opioid chapter, and it's been 50 years. And the look of the opioid chapter is a, is a lot different than the look of the old, you know, crack, crack uh, addiction uh, of 20 years ago. This is the neighborhood kids. It's kids from your community. Um, one of the things that uh, the experts say is they have a saying, five is all it takes. Take five. They're saying that five opioids is all it takes to start the addiction process, which is wow. just staggering. Staggering. Um, it's broad, it's a, and it's a broad spectrum of the population, uh, Hercules. The uh, population consists of um, kids that had 4-0 averages, kids that were uh, uh, athletic achievers, um, kids that had ADD, kids that had emotional problems, kids that went, uh, went on to college and graduated from Villanova. Um, I've heard all the stories. Uh, we have um, a baseball player from uh, Northern Valley who was a star player. We have um, uh, just a, it, it covers every race, creed, and color, uh, religion. It doesn't matter who you are. Your kids are susceptible to this disease. Um, so you're raising, uh, go ahead. Uh, you're you're raising awareness, um, and uh, you're very active. And I spoke with uh, Nancy a few times. She's very uh, focused uh, and uh, believes very strongly in uh, what you're doing, and is is spreading the word all over the place. Um, I'm looking on your calendar. You're you're speaking. You're doing a lot of different things. So raising awareness is that your primary uh, goal right now? Yes, yes. It's raising raising awareness. We had a, um, uh, a remember um, um, event back in the Westwood in the fall. Uh, and we had all the pictures out on the field. We had about, I guess, about four or 500 people came. Um, we had a whole morning of events, and we had flags. We had, it was just fantastic. Uh, everybody that came there was like, oh, my God, is it this bad? And, yeah, it is this bad. When you see it laid out in front of you, you know how bad it, how bad it is. You know, it's been going on for years. Right now in New Jersey, last year, uh, last year the statistics are in, it was over 3,000 opioid-related deaths in New Jersey alone. Wow. And on top of that, on top of that, Hercules, the most staggering figure is there were 13,000 Narcan administrations in New Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with Narcan. No, I'm not. You know, Narcan is the, is the life-saving, uh, um, it's actually an atomizer. It goes into the nose. All the uh, EMTs, police departments, many of the schools, uh, have it, and what it is is it reverses the opioid poisoning. So if you get to a person quick enough, you just give it. It's like an EpiPen, or they have one that goes in the nose. It's a nasal spray. It okay. immediately brings them back to life. Oh, awesome! It's a staggering number. You know what I mean? It really is. I, if it wasn't for that, there'd be another ten or fifteen a day. You know, it would be. It would be amazing. Uh, so people have to really, really get um, committed to their children. What we're trying to do is educate the kids. Um, when we go into the schools, 
We're augmenting other mental health programs. We're collaborating. We'll rotate these. We'll, we have a deep bench of uh, young adults that are in extended recovery that are vetted and they're trained. So we'll send two in maybe in the fall and a different two in the spring. Uh, and we like to start them in the uh, middle school years because uh, that's, when, that's when they really need to know uh, the, the pitfalls of self-medication. Um, what else do we yeah, have here? You're pointing out a, a major uh, problem in our uh, society. Um, aside from raising awareness, uh, what else can we do to help steer kids away from self-medicating? Well, you know, that's, that's, the big, that's the big question, and it's educating the parents to make sure that, um, you know, and, we're, and we've made a lot of headway in New Jersey with the, with the medical profession, you know, but only a, only a year or two ago they were still dispensing, you know, medications. You get 24 oxycodines just for having a tooth pulled. Um, that's all changed. Uh, it's changed a lot. A lot of these people that we have in our poster project that have passed started their addiction from a hospital or a doctor or, or, a, or an athletic uh, um, uh, pain or, or a break. And um, also we look at parents and say, we say to them, listen, if you've got medications in the house, and we're all on some kind of, um, you know, life uh, medications. There's so many good medications out there. We're all on Lipitor and, and other things for blood pressure and but you know what? You, you really need to take those medications. What I like to tell them is, you know, you wouldn't leave a loaded gun, you know, next to your toaster. Right. And you wouldn't leave it on the, uh, in the drinking, in the cabinet with the drinking glasses either. But you don't realize that you're leaving a loaded gun in there with these medications. You've got to lock them up, take your seven-day supply, lock all the rest up, uh, and then make sure grandma and grandpa do the same because they are the mother load for most yeah. medications. And they don't realize somebody's skimming some until the druggist says, Grandma, what, you know, what are you doing, double dosing on this stuff? You know, and then they realize somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's getting into their, uh, in their medications. So it's, a, it's a, always a big, uh, big surprise to them. Um, that's what we tell them. We tell them to make sure they pick, you pick their friends. If you see bad friends, um, you know, jump right on it. Uh, if you see mood changes and things going wrong, um, and again, the stigma is a big thing here. You know, if you teach your kids that this is a disease and you teach your kids to respect um, what's going on in the world, maybe they'll come home and tell you when they see one of their friends doing something or when they're offered something. Um, I think that's, that's real important. You've got to have a good relationship with your kids, an open dialogue, uh, and be very involved with the schools. Um, we, we, we work very hard to get this stuff into the schools. Um, there was sometimes yeah, resistance. Um, well, the, the resistance goes with the stigma too. Not in our school, you know. But uh, the, the right. truth is that uh, this is a, a major problem throughout our country uh, and throughout the world. Uh, so the more honest we can be about it, the better we can address it. Absolutely, I agree 100. percent And this is, you know, we're, we're doing our part to give back. Uh, all of us, the parents and the uh, people that extend, the young people that extend the recovery. Uh, this is our way of giving back. And I can tell you for my own sake, it's 
it's my own perspective. It's not only giving back, but it's my therapy after three years of experiencing loss. Um, I'm sorry. It's, it, it, you know, from a selfish point of view, and I'll tell you, it has helped me a lot. Uh, helping, helping to to save a couple of extra lives, if that's all we save, is 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 worth every every hour we spend um, in this endeavor. Um, oh, it definitely is. Um, I, I can tell you a little bit about my son if you'd like to hear. Sure. Um, my son Justin, we lost Justin in uh, June of 2007. I'm sorry, 2000, uh, 2017, June 2nd of 2017. Um, what happened was um, he had been. He was at age four. He just turned 40, by the way. So we were very wow. fortunate in that. We got to see him hit many milestones, you know. He he graduated high school. He graduated two years of college. Uh, he went on to become a uh, uh, in a he went in the carpenters union. When he when he died, he had 18 years in the union. Uh, he was constantly at work in the union, and um, he got married in 2005, I guess it was, and he uh, bought himself a nice old house. Um, Created a nice little family, a family of four, and um, he really, uh, life was really going well. Um, but he had always had a problem with with alcohol, and that turned into pot, and pot turned into pills. And back in 2000, uh, I guess it was 2010 or 2009, he uh, he, he 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 wound up with a heroin heroin at, uh, addiction as well. Um, so he signed himself in. He went to a rehab. Uh, he came back out. He had his ups and downs for a few years. Um, then in 2016, he suffered the loss uh, in September of 2016 of his closest friend and his cousin, oh. my wife's nephew. Uh, it was a, uh, a, a very un, unseemly thing. And uh, it, the next day, he got himself a DUI coming home from work. Um, I picked him up at the state troopers barracks, and uh, uh, it was a bad day. I had to stop off and, and, and leave him in another town. He wouldn't stay in the car. So what we did is I, I dropped him off at a retail site, and I quickly called the local police and I said, I don't, you know, I don't want him leave him there with uh, somebody walking right. up to him and uh, you know getting into an altercation. So they came over, and I have to tell you, Hercules, you know. We don't hear enough good things about the police. I can tell you those state troopers up in the uh, Netcong barracks, and I can tell you those police in Denville, and even the police in my hometown here. I, they, when it comes to these things, they are experts. I mean, they stand a good distance away. They'll spend an hour talking to somebody into going into uh, the hospital or into rehab. Um, they just do a fantastic job. Um, they really emphasize, emphasize with him. At any rate, he signed him. He signed himself out of St. Clair's Hospital that day, which is not not untypical. He spent the night in the woods in Patterson. He came home the next day. This was the weekend that we were going to be having a funeral for my nephew. And uh, the next that day, that second day, he uh, and I don't know if you know this, Hercules, but he called he called his union to get into the uh, in, into a rehab. He he realized he needed the rehab. I didn't know this that. was too much for him. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but they denied him. 
And the reason they denied him is because you, you can't go to a rehab without going to a detox. Oh. And you can't go to a detox unless at that moment you need to be detoxed. So it's a catch-22. Yeah. So he went, he went down to the local liquor store and started downing uh, little, uh, well, I used to call airplane bottles of vodka. And uh, luckily, I had been—I was spent. I really couldn't do much more at that moment. My my, my emotions were so spent. His two sisters came along and uh, talked him into going into a detox, and they took him down to the carrier clinic. And um, uh, a few weeks later, he was released and put into a, a rehab facility. He came home in October, and uh, he had a great period of time there until after Christmas. And then he had marital issues, which you can understand. And um, he spent the last three months uh, with us in our house, back with mom and dad. And when he passed, he had a sponsor at AA who was just the greatest guy. He was constantly with him. He had a um, therapist once a week. He had a psychiatrist once a month. He had the DUI classes up in Wayne. I think it was either every Thursday or every other Thursday. He was constantly being checked, uh, you know, for drugs and alcohol. And uh, it seemed like things were, were working their way through. Um, <clears throat> of course, there were marital issues that were still, you know, he was, he was going to be separated from his wife. There was no doubt about that. <clears throat> and at that point, um, it, it got rough. He, uh, we went away. We went away on a vacation. We went down to see our, our our daughter in Georgia and the grandkids. He would have got his license back. That was, I guess, it was Memorial Day weekend, the 24th or 25th or so, and he was uh, going to be uh, getting his license back um, right around that period of time. So six months suspension. So he was getting ready for that, and um, things seemed to be okay. But he had so much emotional distress from the uh, separation. Uh, situation that uh, um, he decided he needed to do something. Um, he had children, so he signed up for a um, for High Focus, which is a county program. It's an outpatient program. It's very well recommended. Uh, and uh, like all of us, when we go into fasting, you know, whether it's a Lenten fast or uh -huh. it's a diet, um, anytime we're going to have to give something big up in our in our life. What do we do? We binge. Yes. And the, uh, the addiction community does the same thing. You know, they get one, they want one more big one before they have to not, before they have to not no longer use. And uh, and that's what he did. He uh, he did, I think they call it an eight ball or something. And it was it's cocaine and, and heroin. Um, but it was laced with fentanyl. Wow. And fentanyl is a, I don't know if you know, it's a poison. It's an immediate killer. Uh, a little sugar packet of fentanyl could kill a people could kill the hundred people in the room. I mean, it's just it's an amazing, amazingly deadly um, chemical. Um, my daughter, uh, we were coming home on Friday. Uh, my, my oldest daughter stopped to do a welfare check at eight in the morning. Um, she saw the front door open. She saw chicken on the grill that had been there for days. She saw the TV on. She looked in. It was a, it's a ranch house. She looked down. She saw his shoes out behind the kitchen cabinets. She immediately called the authorities. Um, they all came. You know, when this kind of a thing happens, uh, 
it's everybody in the in the world comes from the you know police communities. It's uh, they all give it their all. So uh, turned out he had probably expired three days before, more like May 30th rather than June 2nd. And um, they had said he he had a bottle of Poland Spring in his hand. It was still gripped in his hand. He hadn't even opened it yet indicating that he died instantly, um, which is what, eth- what, what uh, I was going to say ethanol, <laughs> which is what fentanyl does to you. And, wow. um, and, uh, that was, that was the, that was the worst day of our lives, you know? Um, uh, he broke everybody's heart, but, uh, um, and he was, you know, he was on the road to getting better. If, if he ever would have gotten better, who knows? You don't know. Um, but, but- uh, you know, when he when he was when he was a young child he he had a, a great home uh, he enjoyed the neighborhood he was a, a skateboarder he liked to ski he was an adventurous fellow he uh, was the life of the party he was a funny guy which is not untypical of what what we see um, uh-huh. in the, in the, in the bereavement group and uh, uh, these guys always have uh, outgoing personalities it seems I shouldn't say guys it's girls too. And uh, he uh, uh, played sports. And uh, here's what he told his sponsor. His sponsor came back to see us a week after uh, Justin passed. And uh, he said Justin had told him that I took him to Pascag Valley Hospital, one of the local hospitals at the time. And uh, he had had a neck sprain from a uh, football practice. And the uh, doctor gave him Valium. And uh, Valium is a is a benzo something or other. I, I don't can't pronounce it, but it is a second cousin to an opioid. And it uh, he said to his sponsor he chased that feeling for the rest of his years. Mm. Um, so although he was already drinking and doing some things he shouldn't have been doing, um, it, it, you know that that's what pushed him into pills, eventually, which was a few years later, but still. You know, he you know he, he he danced around it a little bit, and then he finally got into it deeper. And uh, but it didn't take him right away. He was uh, functional and and uh, um, and congenial, and people loved him. And he, every place he stopped in, he, he knew the people in the deli and and the uh, pizzeria, and they'd all uh, um, say hello, Justin, how are you? And he'd give them a you know a nice big smile and talk to them. Very outgoing fellow. He'd do anything for anybody. He was loyal um, and industrious. So, uh, you know, it does hit. It hits across the whole demographic. It's it's a horrible thing. And you know, the parents uh, uh, suffer from stigma too because yeah. you know how many times, you, you know, what happens with these people is they move out of town, they sell their house. Um, they're looked at sometimes in the supermarkets. I mean, it's, it's better today, um, but it's still around. When you have uh, the unfortunate uh, event of your son or daughter or loved one dying from this, you have the funeral. And if you're honest about it, which we certainly were, um, you wind up with three or four more people that you knew, you thought you knew, coming up to you and saying, I need to talk to you because I have the same problem at home. Yeah, um, but nobody's willing to talk about it. And you're, and you're doing it. That's what we have to do. We have to convince people to talk about it. Yes, and you're doing a great service to your community. And uh, 
uh, it sounds like Justin lived a very full uh, life. Uh, he, uh, you, you did get to experience a lot of his milestones. I mourn with you, uh, but you're sharing your story and making it real. Um, is keeping Justin's memory alive, and Justin is helping other people uh, uh, through what Absolutely. you're doing. Absolutely. Is, it gives me remarkable. great satisfaction. To, to, it really gives me great satisfaction to be able to do that. And how did you find out about alumni in recovery through the uh, bereavement group? You know, I, I can't I can't give you the specifics because I'm not quite sure, but I would say, yes, somebody at the bereavement group, I, I believe the sponsor gave me the bereavement group, and um, the bereavement group, I think somebody there said this other thing was going on, it's alumni in recovery. Um, and, again, it was, a, in, in its, it was a little younger, and um, – uh, it was in some of the schools, but we hadn't done community projects. So what has happened is it's morphed, and it's uh, it, it, uh, you know, and it's gotten bigger and better. And we, I think, we've come to a point where we now are totally focused on what we are successful at and what we have to do to make uh, make it make it more successful. Um, and again, you know, it's a volunteer organization, so we all have to get together every so often. And evaluate what we're doing and seeing how we can, you know, involve more people. Because let me tell you, as you probably well know, getting parents to come, um, yeah. that, that takes an effort. Yes, it does. Uh, parents, Tomorrow, two speakers from uh, Alumni in Recovery are coming to the uh, uh, Tenafly Stigma Free Group uh, to address us. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. And uh, let's see what we can do together. That's fantastic. I didn't know that, actually. And how can people who are listening, uh, who are touched by your story uh, and have similar stories, uh, how can they get in touch and get involved with uh, Alumni to Recovery? How can they become part of this healing process? Well, uh, we certainly would love to have any, any help we can get. And uh, we, are, we have a website on, on, on uh, the web, alumniinrecovery.org. And we have um, uh, whatever you call it. I don't know. I'm, I'm an older fellow. But in Facebook, we have a whatever, a page, yeah. I guess you call it. <laughs> uh, Facebook has a page, and it's very extensive. Um, there, there's contact information in, in there. Um, certainly, they can contact any of us by email. Um, I think Nancy's email is in there and her, uh, her, and her phone number. Um, Nancy will always respond. Uh, I can and we have some other people as well. So, yeah, your uh, your website is very well organized uh, and it's very comprehensive. Every anything you want to know is there. Uh, for those following us on uh, Facebook, I did put links to uh, your Facebook page and also to your website so that people can easily find it. And now you've shared for people who aren't on Facebook, you know how they can find. Uh, uh, these things. What do you see as? What do you see alumni and recovery uh, evolving? In which direction do you see it growing? What you're doing is awesome, but you've you've shared that now you're starting to connect people with programs as well. Is that the direction yes. uh, in which you're evolving? Yeah, we're making it. Uh, you know, we're making it more inclusive. Now we have resources at these community meetings three or four resources. We have the, usually the attorney, the uh, district attorney's office or the narcotics people from the county, and they come in and uh, 
make everybody aware of their uh, services that they offer, uh, because now the, uh, as you know, uh, uh, attorney, uh, now he's a, a state's attorney, um, Attorney General Graywall, he, uh, he implemented a lot of new um, policies here in, in, in New Jersey, in Bergen County first, and now in New Jersey. So they no longer arrest. They, you know, upon finding somebody, thanks to him, they uh, they now the police departments now they have somebody to call. Um, they they interview the addicted person first, offer him services. Um, when now that it's evolving from there, there's a new heart program in Bergen County, um, where they actually send an advocate into the police department on call all the time, uh, and they will give them. You know, they will convince them, for the most part, to come into recovery. If they don't want to go into recovery, then they have to deal with the police and whatever issue they have to deal with. Right. But it's not like it used to be. Uh, no. There's help, no. help now. And we make that available in the, in the meetings for anybody that wants to take it. And I always recommend to all the parents, you know, take some, take some information, because if you can't use it, now, hopefully you won't need it. Certainly, you're going to have a neighbor or a relative because when it's this big an epidemic, um, it's knocking at the doors on your block somewhere, and unfortunately. And you want to be able to help those people. And we ask them to, you know, get their neighbors to come the next meeting that we have. We're trying to have them now two to four times a year in the communities, like a quarterly program to pe keep people up to date on what's going on. And to, and quite frankly, to recruit new people and um, and let them, you know, spread the word. That that is incredibly awesome and much needed. Uh, you and all the folks at Alumni in Recovery are welcome uh, to come on the show. And uh, on uh, my uh, Facebook, I have over five thousand people there. Uh, I'll promote uh, your events when you go and uh, talk. Oh, and, uh, uh, because what you're doing is is great work you're you're sharing your most private memories and experiences in order to help other people who are going through a difficult time and uh you can't be thanked enough for doing that well i, I certainly appreciate that we certainly appreciate your efforts um i hope that uh you uh, get a chance to be at the uh, meeting tomorrow then and uh, uh um i hope it works this is i guess this is a preliminary a preliminary event Tomorrow, tomorrow I don't know. I have teaching tomorrow, and uh, I have a podcast. Um, today I stay at home with a cold, um, so uh, I don't know about tomorrow, but I will be at the meeting on Monday, uh, and I will definitely be uh, in touch with you. You're on Facebook as well. I believe I picked uh, the right Rich uh, Hallahan, uh, yes. and I clicked on a friend request, so we, we will definitely uh, – uh, be in touch. Are there any last words you'd like to leave with people? Uh, maybe open their eyes to what is going on around them that they don't want to see? Well, I would just say that we all need to, first of all, we probably all need to have Narcan somewhere in our in our uh, inventory of things we carry around. Uh, because if, if you come across somebody, uh, and the chances are you well, well may come across somebody, you want to be able to take action because it needs to be done very quickly. And you don't have to worry. There, there's no repercussions legally. And quite frankly, if it's not an overdose, if somebody drops to the ground and it's not an overdose, uh, the Narcan is not going to hurt them. It only affects opioid poisoning. So uh, 
That's something we should all have. And people need to be, they need to get this program and other programs into the schools. We need to educate, you know, these middle schoolers right up through high school. But we've got to start with the middle schoolers. This with other programs, we'll collaborate with them. Uh, this isn't the end all. This isn't the only thing. But we need to get this done. And it takes the parents to get the schools to open their doors for any of this stuff. I mean, a lot of them have drug counselors now or uh, mental health counselors, um, but it's sem somewhat new in the last five years or so. Uh, so, you know, they don't always have all the tools that they need. So give them these items to have so they'll have a bigger toolbox. Um, your, your opinion really counts when it comes to getting things accomplished. I found a link in Austin, and I put it uh, in uh, with uh, um, the announcement for today's show, so people can just click on that, and it'll bring them straight to the Narcan uh, site. Yeah, we can't thank you enough, Hercules. And I can't thank you enough. Um, thank you again for sharing, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again uh, very uh, soon. And thank you for all your endeavors. I'll help out in any way I can. I appreciate it. Okay, thank Have you. a good night. You too. Um, we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Cauldron Born, which is about renewal. And uh, we're going to then come back with a Sussex report with Astrid. Well, chant your words. 
Welcome back to the Elysium Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and our next segment is a combination of the Sussex Report and the Four Elements with Astrid, uh, and today we will be further exploring the mysteries of the Four Elements with uh, how they affect the economy and how they affect perspective, behavior, and decisions that we need to make about the environment. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. How are you? Greetings, doing well. And this, I can't say wintry weather, although we're going down to 16 degrees tonight, but it has been an unusually balmy January, more like March. Uh, I can't remember a time when we did not have single digits and below zero for that first week in January. Uh, Dork, this is, again, we're living in some alternate reality. People have been commenting on it uh, more and more, and uh, uh, I've grown right. to believe that somehow we're, we've, we've uh, gone into another universe, uh, very different than the one we were in before. All right, and if this is not proof of climate change, I, I can never remember a lake being moving, moving water, not being frozen. Right. At the end of January, it is just starting to freeze, but obviously not safe enough to walk on. I, just this week, I mean, it's very thin. You could, you can't see a thick layer. And I, matter of fact, read something somewhere in the paper where two teenagers, I don't even know what area, it wasn't up here, but were walking in a lake, thought it was safe, uh, and they fell to death. Two separate incidents. Oh, that's, that's sad. It is sad because, um, you know, I guess they might have seen someone else walking on it somewhere along the line. That, And even up here, there have been people, I mean, I, I mentioned it before, that the ice fishermen are quite upset with it. And there are a few times that I've seen one or two men venture out when it was cooler weather. And I would even have questioned their sanity to do it because uh, here we go again with emotion and logic. You know, when is something... When is something the right thing to do? Is it because you want to do this, or is it because of the fact that you shouldn't do it because of all the laws of nature have the facts out there? It's just not safe. It just isn't. And people, uh, just like in the political trials uh, where people are saying, so what? Um, yeah. Here, too, people are saying, so what, uh, and pointing out that this happens periodically on the planet. But what they're not telling not you like is this. It, it leads to extinction events of mass magnitude. Right, I, right. I'm, Go back uh, in history. Amazing. Very little survives it happening, and uh, so we shouldn't become complacent. Right. Definitely not. And and you can't use your own type of logic, you so-called logic, your reasoning, when all the facts are out there. And I will start off a little bit, talking a little bit about the the great programs again in Sussex County. We always talk about the library. I'm not going to go into detail about their programs. I do want to mention these two things that are phenomenal by Project Self-Sufficiency. And one is something called the New Jersey Youth Corps Open House. And this is a program for ages uh, 16 to 25, Sussex and Warren County High School uh, students who have dropped out. They will work it out so that you can receive your high school diploma, free transportation and child care, a weekly stipend, and help with a transition to college, career, or military at a New York Youth uh, Corps open house. I think that's fantastic that they're willing to put everything in place to help a student that just couldn't do it. 
couldn't, for whatever reason, whether it be financial or just wasn't motivated or didn't like the school situation they were in. And so um, Project Self-Sufficiency is working something out. with the, It's called the New Jersey Youth Corps Open House. And you can contact them at their website of Project Self-Sufficiency, or you can call them at 973-940-3500. I like the fact that they're going to offer transportation, child care, and help with transitioning, because it's not enough just to have um, a workshop. It's fine to get the tools, but people very often need help in coordinating these things with their life at that moment. You know, becomes very difficult, and they also this project self sufficiency had something called about their free employment skills training program, higher opportunities for women at an open house, and that actually is tomorrow. And that's a great thing because again, they're looking to train in this program and help people have the tools necessary to seek employment that will afford them a salary and means for self to be self-sufficient. Wow. That's, that sounds great. Yeah. So, I mean, there are great programs here. And then I look at, I'm very proud of some of our local officials at what they've done. I'm talking particularly about our, our Josh Geidheimer. I know there are some people that feel that he is very bipartisan and, and that he isn't, progressive enough to in their mind but the man since he has been in has done some amazing things he listens to people and not only does he listen he takes the issues to task and that's the important thing so um they had a meeting in ogdensburg the local officials met with state and federal representatives and jcpnl management to talk about winter storm damage control it's really been an issue uh, because of all the trees and the power outages and, and up here in sussex county and quite a few areas we've seen power outages since october due yeah. again to tremendous rain you know the floods and the rains and then the trees can't handle all, you know the branches dead branches and and even trees that have been around for a while how long can they be saturated like that so um Josh Godheimer and he's in district 5 and uh Mikey Sherrill, who's district 11 took part in the round table with Senator Steve Rojo he's the Republican in 24 and local mayors and first responders were involved as well. I like the fact that they brainstormed with people that live it. They don't, they're not people that just talk it, but people have, that right. have to live with it. And first responders have to constantly deal. I mean, all these towns here, I mean, you have the Sussex County uh, Department that deals with um, um, horrific things that go on, whether it be storms, uh, electrical issues, and uh, that have an emergency crew that work, emergency responders that work to take care of these situations. So uh, it, I'm very happy to see that they were uh, involved with that. And and I know that uh, Murphy was involved. He said that JCPNL had earmarked $22 million for tree removal and trimming, but he didn't know if they had sent how much of it set apart for capital improvements. And this uh-huh. is the big thing. You know, our representatives are looking for not just taking care of the problem when it happens, but to start getting on top of these things 
before they happen. So that's going along and, and trimming where they can and then looking about maintenance of equipment because we saw that was a very big issue in the California fire. Those fires, I mean, paradise, that area just totally was decimated. And they found out that the sparks involved was due to faulty equipment, equipment and lines that were there for over 35 years without being maintained. That's a little frightening. That is frightening. So I'm glad to see that we have representatives here who are doing the job, irregardless of what party they are. You know, they're there to make sure that they're taking care of business. You know, jumping on some of these things that are going on here, that, that it isn't enough just to talk about it and say, well, you know, we'll give them a call. No, you know, they're, they're preceding it, saying let's do it before it becomes a problem. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. Me too. It's better to be proactive uh, than to wait oh. until it becomes uh, beyond right. uh, um, fixing. Yeah, and you know as well as I do, <laughs> um, it's, it, it used to always happen once in a while. But now it's happening more and more often and times of the year that you would not expect. I mean, we have not had major snow. We now get, even up here, wintry mix and ice, which is due to the climate. Yeah. So, and and those are treacherous situations (laughs) with the woods. Those are the treacherous And you live in the woods. I've lived in the wooded mountains, so I know what oh, it's like yes. in, in northwestern Jersey. So um, I know how treacherous the, the roads can be. And uh, um, in Pennsylvania, when we lived, when there were um, icy flurries and uh, people would wind up off the road and in, in trees. Uh, yeah, so it, it was a mess. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And uh, another issue that uh, the local officials or, or, uh, officials are jumping on, particularly Josh Gottheimer, saying let's look at what's going on here, like with the algae. Let's not just wait. I mean, we know that they're earmarked for monies, you know, for Lake Capacon, because that's the largest lake. And we uh-huh. talked about that cyanobacteria and how they said it's much better. It's under control there. But um, we know the very fact that there's warmer weather now, that we don't have these winters with unbelievable ice and freezing cold weather, that there's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. So they said that despite cold temperatures, eight of the uh, balloons are continuing to persist. 22 blooms were confirmed, 20 blooms were confirmed in 2018, and they said now that um, there's an issue with some persistence because it's not cold enough. But they're not also looking at the other areas. There are other areas besides Lake Apacon. So they're, they're looking to see, and, and they're talking about going further, looking into this more. And uh, like I said, he did do $13.5 million, our governor, in grant funding that would help it. But uh, you're going to end up having, people have to realize, they're going to have to bear some of the costs. Very often, people will move to an area because it's more economical, and Uh maybe I'll buy a home here. I mean, it's a lake. It's beautiful. Oh, I don't have to maintain a water because uh, or pay a water bill because I have a well. Guess what? You have to maintain your well and your pump, and it gets expensive when they go. Oh, yes. And um, 
the other thing is, oh, we have a septic system. It's, you know, a different kind of a system. But the septic system is tied to the environment. And right. we've mentioned before that um, one of the issues, in, and, and this is where we get into perspective, um, when you're living there, you have to maintain your septic system, and that means you have to clean it. And at one point, like a pack on, um, they had a law where they had to uh, pump their septics and, you know, have them checked by a reputable company and given a clean bill of health every so many years. I don't know if it was five or whatever. And people that lived, the locals that lived there, went to their legislator and complained, saying this is a hardship having to pay for this. And they worked at lessening. It, lessening the regulations, and people have to realize that HAPACON was built in a time when there were no specific laws about how close homes can be to each other and, and how many homes, residential areas, could be within a certain amount of, of ground space or acreage. Um, those laws, and now, like, Basically, people are grandfathered in, but the, the laws in most communities, I would say for the good past 30 years that I know, you have to be building on a specific amount of acreage. And even okay. your uh, septic system has to be approved if, if that lot is uh, approved for a septic system. Not the case way back when, when, when Hapacon was being um, you know, filled with people. Homes were very close together and uh, close to the lake. And the septic systems were different than, than they are now. Now they're highly technical, highly technical. When you build them, my gosh, I know when we had ours replaced uh, about a good 15 years ago, it looked like a giant swimming pool, and it had multiple sections to it and uh, went from one area to another. So, I mean, they're very involved, and, and they have safeguards. They have safeguards. Uh-huh. So living there, you have to think about the fact that, yeah, it's aesthetic and there's certain living here, maybe you save money in one way, but a maintenance of a lake, a community, is an important thing because it not only affects you, it affects everyone else in the community that you're living within, and many times it affects other areas that are involved, and we're talking watersheds now, so it's not just you. It is an economical thing, and you have to look at the perspective of it. If the one individual that's sitting there on their property and doesn't want to have to deal with the funding because maybe I want to do this or that, uh, someone who decides, well, I'm not going to go to the laundromat and put because I, I really shouldn't be putting bleach in my septic system because the septic system works on natural bacteria and any kind of bleach, any kind of a product like uh, when you're washing your clothes or washing your dishes, these products, you have to start reading what's in them because right. otherwise you're not doing your septic system any good and you're not even doing your lake or any of the waterways that are near you any good. I know that it's, it is a lot, but it needs to be done. Otherwise, uh, there's all sorts of different problems. It could be health problems that could develop. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, you, yes, most definitely, because we saw that with um, the lake, with the gastro, um, gastro issues and, and, and different kind of rashes. And, and I'm sure when you get to a certain point, it's going to be toxic. It's not just dogs that are going to be dying. Um, they did have Representative Josh Gottheimer, 
It was one of the authors of a letter, and he spoke at Greenwood Lake about the need for more action to protect New Jersey lakes from against the blooms. And we need to prevent and mitigate and respond now. That's his quote, because he said it could it could provide investments or lakes need to reduce source pollution, make sewer and stormwater upgrades, and invest in treating the existing toxic blooms. So, yes, I understand the uh, economy from several points of view, one being that you're a homeowner and do I have to put money this way, that way? I understand the people that saw uh, Lake Apacon as their tourist attraction, and now there are people who are not making money there. But there is a much more important factor, and that is what they were doing to the environment. And basically they will have a dead lake. That's, that's what happens. Right. Very often lakes will cease to exist. And then they are drained when they become toxic. So yeah. better to think long range than short range. Yeah, it's hard for people to think uh, long range sometimes. But, uh, right. It, it, it is hard because there's, there's so many, especially in this day and age when we've seen the dollar shrink, we've seen laws and, and, and businesses that have tighter hands in terms of our our individual rights as a worker and unions that have very little power or minimal power, I should say, um, you have to definitely make your mark and do something. And it is tough money-wise, but that's when, like we always say, through information and standing up for what you believe in, what's the betterment of the all, and that's the public sector, the betterment of the all, not just one or two. The perspective is a very, very important thing. And um, on that note, I will bring up the fact that we have now have to de- deal with, in our county, these Second Amendment sanctuary issues. And what basically, it's a it's a movement to counter New Jersey's tough gun laws. So there's a grassroots movement going around gun rights advocates in New Jersey, and they're enlisting town halls and, you know, different little battles against the gun laws uh, because we do have one of the toughest in the nation, and they feel they're being threatened. And we had resolutions adopted in West Milford and I think Sussex, the town of Sussex. I'm not sure about that, but I know Stillwater just passed one. And they declare that the town – a pro-Second Amendment lawful gun owner township. These are these little resolutions that are being adopted. Where it goes from there, I don't know. We labeled uh, the municipalities Second Amendment sanctuary communities. And, you know, I I don't know what to say about that at this point. Depends on your belief. That's very true. Is the gun violence higher in these uh, communities or lower? Or about no, the same? no. Hunting is very, very big up here. It's very big. Okay. People like to hunt, and they feel they have the right to have their guns, and that's fine. Uh, but you know, what about what about the damage that is done? That the laws that are placed there. Um, to protect others, and there is there's a group called the New Jersey. It's NJ2A Sanctuary, 
It's a group, and and they're basically going around and they're organizing, doing uh, gun rights rallies. You know, uh, there was a big one in Richmond, but we have them up here too. And um, they talk about the constraints of liberty, basically. And um, it's it's a very very tough thing because what about the rights of other people that become victimized? from these right. weapons. And I think a big thing that they're concerned about is the red flag law, that they feel that the red flag law means that anybody can come along and take your gun away because you said something, you know, very contrary. And that's not the case. Uh, it's being done to protect people from those that have guns that shouldn't have them. And that would be people like um, – the suspected neo-Nazi leader who armed himself for a race war, whose weapons cache was seized in Washington State back in October. And there are others, you know. I mean, domestic violence is an issue, and then they, if they're called to a home and they see there's tons of weapons and there's consistent domestic violence, well, you know, that's a red flag. Well, here we have a freeholder who has taken it upon himself called um, – He's assemblyman, Parker Space, but he's also he got this freeholders involved here and and they were had a meeting and they're talking about um these red flag laws and they're saying things that uh, basically well, you know, you could be having coffee with someone who simply doesn't like what you have to say about President Trump, and they could report it. Notice they said she could report it to the police, and on that basis, the cops will come to your door and take your guns away. He said this in front of a public meeting last week. Mm. There is no way that somebody can do that. It's a judge who decides whether someone is posing an imminent danger based on a petition from a House member, relative, or the police. And the gun owner can make his case at a hearing within 10 days with an attorney, and they can even still appeal. And, um, you know, Parker Space went on and on about it. uh, The newspaper, there was a great editorial that talked about this and how how people will talk from emotion rather than from logic, you know, their belief without looking at everybody else's. And, again, we're not saying that people should have their guns taken away. You know, a, that is your Second Amendment right. What they're talking about is someone who is a danger to humanity. And even then it's very difficult to prove and. I mean, you know as well as I do, with, with, um, when in order to get laws put in place, for laws of protection when there's violence, where they have restraining orders, it's very hard to do. And even right. then, when you have a restraining order, there is nothing they can do, supposedly, until a person comes and does bodily harm. That's frightening. Yes, it is. That's um, frightening. That is that is frightening. Okay, I'm looking at mm. Second Amendment stories. So I can include a, a link with uh, with uh, your segment tonight. All right. Well, this is this editorial is in uh, the Star Ledger. It's from a few days ago, and that might have been Mondays. And it says Assemblyman uses misinformation to attack the red flag law. This is interesting. Here it says here um, he refused to get on the phone. And saying his sources are unnamed constitutional attorneys. And the same okay. pro-gun lawyer 
who is defending another Sussex County man accused of stockpiling weapons and Nazi paraphernalia, terrorizing his ex-girlfriend by holding a gun to the back of her head, and talking about shooting up a hospital. These are the people that we're talking about, to use as a reference. Um, I don't know. There was one lone dissenter in Stillwater, and that was the mayor. To, for this resolution, Lisa Charm, Chamings, yeah, Chamings. She was a lone dissenting vote in her town. She said she supported the Second Amendment, but she did not want to see our red law misapplied and misused without seeing any examples of this. And she said you need to have evidence. And she knows the amount of violence the township went through because her father was uh, a police chief. So. You know, to take someone's gun away, you have to show so much probable cause. Uh, and I would, I would also, I'm wondering where there, where some of these people stand about some of these weapons. Because I understand hunting, and I understand rifles and pistols. and But why do you need semi-automatic weapons? Why does anyone need machine guns? I'm certain you're yeah, not going to go out to farm. conversation is going to take a while. People feel very strongly about it, and it's one of the issues that are polarizing our country right now. Right, right. Well, it, it's really unbelievable because there is something online, I gotta, it, it, and it's called Arms List, and I was certainly unaware of this. Uh, I read about it through an email with Brady Pack, and they said that you can buy semi-automatic weapons on arms list, which is similar to Craigslist, and they will work around the weapons laws and background checks. Wow. That basically any anyone can get them. That totally floored me, and I understand what people are saying that so many guns can be purchased illegally, and only that the law-abiding citizens that have them legally, you know, get penalized. But there have to be, has to be a check and balance system in every aspect of our life. There has to be some kind of check and balance system. That's why you have laws on the road for when you're driving and traffic lights. And I understand there are just several people. It's not everyone that does these things, but it's not several people anymore. It's become a common occurrence lately. You know, we'll be once in how many years. Now it's very often we're picking up a paper and hearing about these things, which, you know, it's it's sad. It really is. So, again, it's about money and funding and who makes money on these things, just like with – with medications. We said they're so expensive and people will, you know, buy from here or there and, and Still, I understand you want the economics of it, but do you really want to buy from medication and things from China where the the laws are very lax and even the food situation with the poisoning with foods because the, the cleanliness factor and, and regulation is not the same as ours? It's something you have to think about. And even buying yeah. medication through, through the mail, you know, like for Canada and everything, and, and hearing about people stockpiling medication – is that really a good thing? Very, uh, very difficult <laughs> to know. Yeah, you know, it, it's you, you can go from one extreme to the other is what I'm saying. And there has to be 
some kind of a healthy balance. And then, you know, one thing I am happy to see is I look in the paper and I see about something in the section of the uh, a business section of the Times, regulation and trade, that uh, England, Britain, is unveiling vast privacy protections for children. Big tech objected, but they are on it. They said there is no way that children should be exploited with the misuse of their data and all the things going on, and they're going to require platforms like YouTube and Instagram to turn on the very highest possible privacy settings by default for minors. It should be for Yeah, and so I'm, I'm happy to see this, that they're going to be doing a whole data protection law and the code's going to be put into effect, and I like this, eight to ten weeks after it's sent to lawmakers. Not the years like we see here when, when there are all of these toxic dump sites and this and that. They're declared you know, they must be taken care of, and they're not. So, um, you know, kudos to Great Britain. Indeed, I have to research that. Uh, um, you forced me to expand my mind, which is a good thing, and, and I thank you for that. That's true. Well, here's something interesting too that's going to be happening in Florida, and it has to do with our EPA, which is run okay. by someone who is a former lobbyist. Okay, so he really isn't there for the protection of the environment. They are holding a public permit hearing to consider whether or not to approve an ambitious open pen in the Gulf of Mexico. What does that mean? Fish farming or might lead to privatizing federal waters. So, uh, not you may hear, oh, the United States, we import 90% of our seafood. Most of it is farmed. That's not good. And most of it from China. Another not good thing. But you know, we're going to be growing in the fish department. But at the expense of doing things the way things are done, because Scandinavians do things in a much better way in terms of seafood. You know, they, they raise about seven times as much fish as Americans, and they have only 1.6 of our population. And they are predicting that two-thirds of edible fish will be formed by 2030 but they disagree on the best means for doing it. But anyway, what they're going to do, yeah, they're going to consider disapproval of this area, and it would be the first finfish agriculture aquacultural project in the Gulf, raising about 20,000 almaco jack. I don't know what that is. It's a special fish. It would be the first in federal waters. But I'm really confused about this. They're going to set this up. And then what happens when they do one form? Is that the open door to have 10 or 15 forms? How much pollution is it going to put in that Gulf area? What is the, the uh, pollution discharge? Because you know regulations, what happens. Their right. area is prone to red tide blooms. They're concerned about that. How is this going to affect this? How is it going to be run? And we don't mean on paper when things are, you know, run this way. And all this whole area, three to 200 miles out or under federal control, and they've always been off limit to farming due to concerns about the impact on the wild fisheries and the ecosystem. So this is an interesting to see, thing to see. You know, what is going to happen from this? 
It's an that, economic that, thing. It's making more money. But what comp- I would like to know what companies are involved in doing this. That, that and, is Topic and uh, <laughs> our last time for today is uh, nearing its end. Um, Astrid, people can still get in touch with you through the show. And, Definitely. Uh, are there any last? And I do words? want to say one thing: people sure. do matter. The little voice, who yeah. am I? What am I? What can I do? You do matter. EWG.org, who I always say is phenomenal because they are. Uh, they're non-profit and they do studies and their big thing was glyphosate which we know is the key ingredient in Monsanto, the Roundup which linked to cancer. They tested cereals and found glyphosate in every single one. They contacted Kellogg's, Quaker, General Mills. Only Kellogg's agreed. They responded by saying they are ending pre-harvest use of glyphosate, that pesticide, in all of its major crops because that's how, you know, we, they grow their own crops and they make with their grain and then it goes in the cereals. That is a big thing. Why? Because 300,000 consumers joined with EWG's campaign to have glyphosate taken out of our food. That is a big thing. So it, one plus big. one plus one. That was a great thing to, to hear. And you're right. Everybody matters. And uh, you can't do everything. It was more and more clear, but you can do something. So focus on the thing that's most important to you. Do most something important. about that. Say something about right. that. Call somebody about that. Just do something. And, uh, um, you know, we, we are all important. We all have a voice and we all have uh, the power to pull and push in this world. So, most definitely. Uh, and it comes down to the fact that no huge corporation has the right to pollute what is the source of nutrients and yeah. existence, basic existence to all of the world, every single person. Now, where does the profit factor get run so amok that it forgets about the humane factor? And that is an excellent uh, place to end today's inquiry. Thank you so much, yes. Astrid. Awesome. <laughs> And I look forward to our next conversation. Most definitely. And thank you so much for having the, the foundation here of which, on which we can build upon these subjects. And there's, there's more to come. I'll share that with you off the Oh, air. I'm sure. <laughs> Have a good uh, night. You too. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antler Crown and Standing Stone. And then we'll be back with Bill Waitman. And today we're going to discuss artificial intelligence from ancient times to modern times. Mm-hmm. I am the face within the leaf. I'm the voice within the tree. I am boy, I am man, the face of the changing man, and I have been your constant guide, from your caves on the mountainside, we have walked hand in hand, and everywhere that I have been, my path. Turn the grey to green 
Project. Now for our concluding chapter, I on Northern New Jersey with the legendary Bill Waitman. Today we're going to be learning about artificial intelligence, ancient and modern. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) I I wanted to just go and touch on a couple of things you just talked about, if I could. Um, sure. I'm a part-time, Florid- part-time Floridian. I've seen total misuse uh, of the way they handle uh, things. For instance, they allowed a sugar company, a major one, to pollute, uh, you know, to grow sugar, but it's causing a lot of pollutant uh, problems in a, one of their largest uh, systems for um, water. And it, it's tough in Florida to get water. The second thing is. Some bozo made a decision, or a bunch of them, to put a gigantic Asian uh, snake in the um, in the Everglades. And okay. it, once, once they did that, uh, alligators and crocodiles, we don't think of them as pets or friendly animals, but every animal has some kind of, uh, has some kind of chore uh, in, in where it lives. And these right. snakes have been killing off and wiping out Florida is a state that, uh, in the Everglades, does have both alligators and uh, crocodiles. Uh, further up north, it starts getting to be just crocodiles. But uh, this snake has been killing both of them off at such a rapid pace that they've hired hunters now to come in and shoot the, the snakes, which the snakes? are sometimes Hercules about 30, 40 feet long. Uh, wow. So I, I'm not a friend of crocodiles or alligators. I've been close to one, the croc, uh, the alligator, but uh, I worry about that. And there's been other misuses, uh, misuses everywhere, including, uh, as Ashley was talking, our local lakes up in, in New Jersey. Uh, things are being put into them uh, by landowners. Uh, they, every lake has some kind of committee to watch over uh, the issues of, of septics and whatever, but nevertheless they leak, and uh, uh, them and uh, some of the stuff we put on the roads, uh, we get some uh, fracking waste uh, up in our area, which shouldn't be there because we're the uh, Highlands region uh, that, uh-huh. that supplies the state. Uh, I don't know how many million uh, residents, but well, so let me make a guess: three to five million somehow get uh, water from the uh, the Highland region, which extends to a number of counties on the on the on the co- uh, coast. But that was just my two cents. I uh, I. Uh, feel sorry for alligators uh, in a way, uh, and I feel sorry that people continue to make mistakes. The same thing happened in the Mississippi River. Uh, uh-huh. A lot of precious fish were another Asian or somebody dumped a, a couple of Asian-related fish in there, and they spawned. And uh, for years, they've been clearing out the good fishing that people want uh, along the river and, you know, and know a history of. Uh, and I, I believe they even got up as far north as Flint, which had a, has its own problems with drinking water. So I just wanted to throw that in. Um, and Astrid uh, asked uh, what you, if I could ask you about what you thought about the uh, Second Amendment uh, sanctuaries. I do not like that in the least. I think that's hypocritical and phony. I was against the uh, – I, I really should have ran last year just to get faced uh, facial uh, uh, time with those creeps. That seems so far-fetched. Uh, and you know what? It's basically a small minority. All right, some towns have like uh, there are towns up there that literally have maybe 25 or 30 people. 
and maybe they live in hunting areas. But uh, I don't know if we should codify things like that. And it's going against the state. It becomes a time when uh, this governor and uh, I'm going back to Florio. I remember posing with Florio uh, about these extreme weapons that uh, she brought up, uh, uh, machine guns and uh, other things that are way out of of sight. We've gone too far, uh, and we've allowed Sussex County. Can I give you another? I'm going to blow this away. But um, I personally am a criminologist by trade. I wound up becoming an industrial psychologist by education afterwards. But um, I've done projects with the jail system in Sussex County, all 21 counties, including yours and uh, Passaic County and Sussex County. Um, Having prisoners thrown out of jails because there's supposedly some illegal immigrants coming around seems to me to be a long – seems to me to violate uh, um, prisoner rights uh, as it is. Uh, If you're in a jail – uh, a county jail. I just wrote a paper about knowing a, an alcohol, a, a drug user since until he was 40 and just seeing him again after what a downward spiral. But um, these people are put in a, a jail, then they're transferred to another county, which is going to be 40, 50, or 100 miles away, supposedly to get illegal immigrants. I was in charge of immigration. I, I was in charge because I was a member of the Department of Labor, and I became a one-stop administrator. And I also, in my t- tenure, had to give out a, dis- a, a court decision called the Judge Ritchie decision, allowing immigrants to go into other fields of uh, occup- or occupations. And uh, I never saw, saw an overabundance of, uh, of illegal or any immigrants in Sussex County. Most of them came up, went to a church in uh, uh, in New York, uh, New York State, Florida, and they called it the uh, Alamo, uh, fictitiously. But that's they would came in, they cleared, and then they visited our, our uh, uh, people in Sussex and um, Warren County. That would interview them and see what kind of work they were doing. We, we uh, New Jersey was, was under a law to provide immigrants with alternatives in work other than, you say, cranberry picking or, or other things. I think that uh, putting these immigrants in the jail, first of all, violates their rights, and I think there's a violation of the uh, inmates that were in the Sussex County Jail and some of the other counties that did this. Four or five counties are holding these kind of uh, crazy things over and over. Now it's the uh, uh, what you just talked about with Astrid, and before that it was uh, getting immigrants into the jail. The immigrants that are in every county, including yours and mine, uh, have lower rates of criminality than, than yeah, the that's criminals. Been, that's been shown time and again. And some of our, I hate to say this, I have a lot of friends in police, but we have a number of towns that have had police doing bad things with women uh, and, and other things. Uh so I don't know if they're hiring, uh, you know, the wrong kind of uh, a policeman. Not all policemen in Sussex County are that way. But uh, uh, I, I feel that we don't need to codify guns. There's enough danger up there. Uh, Parker Space I ran against, and uh, I, I liked him, but I could not understand why anybody in their mind would have a, confer- a Confederate flag in Sussex County. Sussex County did have slaves years ago. Uh, there's a small amount of African Americans up there, about 2,500. Not 2,500. Yeah, 2,500, 3,000 maybe. Uh, some are, you know, middle class, and some are not doing so well. 
But I don't think that we need to keep bringing up these memories. You know, I don't mind, uh, you know, Jefferson Davis has a statue someplace or somebody can convince me that Robert E. Lee uh, had some good in himself. And I understand originally he was supposed to fight for the North. But it's, it's over. 1865 was a long time ago. And we're still going along with this. And it seems like part of the hate, I, I am Italian-Irish and I'm Welsh. The Welsh people that I are, were original settlers in this country. The Italian uh-huh. and Irish were faced no-nothings, especially in areas like Sussex County. I happened to see the Ku Klux Klan action outside of, uh, in Wrights, uh, Wrightstown, near outside of Trenton. Uh, cutting off a car full of Jewish kids while I was coming from a protest in Washington. Uh, I find this an abomination, and it's part of the hatred that seeped into her uh, since this last election. I mean, just sitting and watching uh, the the senators with these letters today is, is a joke. Uh, the one side totally distorts, and I'm trying to be fair but totally mm-hmm. distorts everything, and everything seems to be permissible. The president really can get out on Fifth Avenue and shoot people if you follow their logic and cannot be impeached, and I think that's wrong. Uh, yeah, I think no, that no, we have to be I don't know, Hercules. We're in a real bad period, and, uh, you know, I, don't, I hope you have a, a, a religious scholar or somebody on at some point to talk that knows the Bible, uh, Hilda does, but somebody that can point out what's going on and how this relates to the Old Testament and, and in part to the New Testament. I mean, we've got a guy that people are calling the chosen one. That's repulsive uh, to me. He's not the uh, – we were talking about false gods and everything else coming near the end or the end of days, which takes a full – you know, is, a, is found in the Old and the New Testament. What is happening to our population that's turning and losing the, the values that we have? We're not just a Christian nation. I mean, Washington and Jefferson wrote, wrote very excellent letters on why Jews and other groups would be welcome in this country. And that includes Muslims, too. We've done horrific things to kids, which doesn't make sense. We've become almost a barbaric society in some ways. And we're acting more like a Russia than we act like the United States. People can criticize me and say all they want. But I know that we can do, as Robert Kennedy used to say, we can do more and be better in this country than we are now. And I hope that answers your question. It, uh, it is. We're, we're very disturbing time. We're very polarized. And some of the things that are coming out are frightening uh, in their implications. And, uh, I know I wonder why people don't think it through. If they really believe what they're saying, uh, it, it'll lead to a, a dictatorship, you know. And uh, um, I thought that we were proud of being a democratic republic. For like a, a dictator or a monarchy. So uh, it's, it's a very confusing, extreme time. I've never seen anything like this. I, I know things have happened throughout our history with the different ethnic groups. Uh, Muslims have made adaptations. One of the proud things you can take from your own county is that uh, Jewish people in certain sectors of Bergen County have moved uh, Muslims into homes or into synagogues uh, while they, you know, fight for their uh, 
to get their rights to become citizens. I, you know, I don't know if you remember, and I, I, uh, I don't know if I said it to you, but I remember uh, Trump's son talking about Russian adoptions. And not too long ago, I remember start reading about adoptions of Mexicans or, or people from some of those, those three countries in uh, South and Central America where a lot of the immigrants come from. And I don't think that's the way we should be running things to help promote adoption of kids that come here with their families and we separate those families. Those families came because they're victims of what we caused. We have a large drug program and we've created cartels that have moved out of Mexico and moved to El Salvador and Honduras and uh, Nicaragua uh, or wherever, or Nicaragua could be military issues. And we've condoned that. And, uh, I admire the groups that step up. Again, I've read in the record about Jews. I've read about Christians and Baptists, Catholics taking in, a, you know, Dover, for instance, uh, is a sanctuary city or town. Um, Sussex County is voting not to be sanctuary towns, and that's embarrassing to me because I thought we were better even up there. And this is the wrongful, wrongful kind of behavior. And uh, I hate to say it, he might have a chance of being – Every time I heard a question, wait, just before going on your show, uh, it was it, 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 it's it's the questions that they're getting in the Senate tonight, and uh, Schiff right. and his people coming up, and uh, uh, you know they're using it. These lawyers are terrible about the Repu- that they have. I mean, just listening to them, they're condoning just about everything. A president can get away with everything. Heck, President Clinton didn't get away with cheating with a girl. I mean, that's repulsive. He was a married man. But the stuff that they're talking about is he literally can get out and shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Uh, The governor and the mayor wouldn't allow it, but who knows? He would probably be released. We're selling our values and our souls out. And, uh, you know, uh, we have people posing uh, as religious figures, and they're not. And I'm not attacking any organized church. I'm, I'm glad that Billy Graham's newspaper came out and criticized the stuff that uh, the president's doing. Uh, other groups attacked Billy Graham's newspaper. Billy Graham is dead. I guess his, uh, his, his son is alive. But this is unbelievable. And uh, in the end, uh, you know, with, it almost sounds like the judgments of, uh, that we've read about in the Bible, in the, uh, in the New and the Old Testament and other scripture of what's to come. And what's to come is what we see now, plus disasters. And we're seeing endless disasters. Puerto Rico hit twice. Earthquake, Jamaica and Cuba, uh, all kinds of things in Europe, and, and some countries actually literally sinking underwater. Uh, we're not paying attention. And uh, uh, the lying that's going on. I mean, today you actually hear senators saying that there's lying. But look at these. Look, look at this, the attack by Iran on our soldiers on the base. That that was wrong. But the the, the statistics, statistics came out and said only ten soldiers were were originally hurt at all. Now we're up to over fifty and climbing. And some of these uh, things are uh, traumatic brain injuries are very serious. I don't know what it means for these people's lives. It was, it was an unnecessary thing. We should have stayed in the, a lot uh, going on. More, more, 
we're being bombarded with information and there's a lot to react to. Um, now, some of these things uh, that are going on have been going on for a long uh, time and now they're much more out in the open. Um, and with artificial intelligence too, t- tonight's topic, uh, artificial intelligence actually, th- there are stories of it in antiquity, in Greek mythology and uh, during the age right. of Alexander. Uh, so well, I guess I can, we'll start I can there. tell you that you would be proud because you're Greek. Talos is one of those figures, and they're looking at some of the things that uh, were represented by Talos. Yeah, so yes, Talos. that artificial uh, intelligence. Uh, and I don't know. I, I see various physical descriptions of Talos. Am I saying that name right at all? Yes, Talos. He was a robot that patrolled uh, the shores of Crete. And uh, That's right. uh, invasions, and uh, uh, there are stories about him, and there's also stories of Hephaestus's golden uh, robot women, uh, the automatons, you know, who he had working in his. Uh, uh, he used to make the weapons and the armor of the the, the jewelry of the gods, uh, so he had these uh, right. women robots working there with him, um, and uh, yeah, that goes back thousands of years. You know, according to he was he was he, as you said, he was uh, huge. He had brought he was a bronze automaton whose job was right. to correct Europa at the time, the mother of King Minos uh, yes. of Crete, and from invaders, pirates, and others. And he's depicted as either a winged creature, or or, or uh, as this, uh, and he figures that his discovery was around 300 BC, around Crete. Yes. And, uh, and uh, this goes on through this whole book. By the way, the book is called The uh, Art- Artificial Intelligence and Illustrated History. It's by a guy named Clifford Pickover, P-I-C-K-O-B-E-R. And he traces this for over 2,000 years or more. Um, you know, he goes on and then uh, uh, one of the ones is uh, actually one of the early games that we know in our youth, is tic-tac-toe. And uh-huh. tic-tac-toe actually goes back to 1300 B.C. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was a game often made with ma- uh, with colored head beads and, and matchboxes uh, of, of, of that time. And, uh, I, I, you know, uh, it, today it's committed, it, 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 the archaeologists, Consider it as an Amaton too, and the game itself has changed much. It's now computer; uh, it's computer-generated forms of it. And uh, tic-tac-toe is a is a very popular game even today. But it yeah. actually, when you read through this from 1300, uh, you go. You know, next person that comes along is Ter- Hercules, and he himself speculated that automatons could one day replace human slaves. Uh, yeah. and doing the work of slaves. And uh, uh, he was, his mind was helped by uh, a game uh, called, uh, first of all, it was helped by his syllogisms. For instance, uh, he would have one, uh, Cleopatra is a woman, uh, therefore Cleo, uh, all women are mortal, Cleopatra is a woman, Cleopatra is, is a mortal. 
So that's a syllogism that does three four things. And uh he he used it very well in, in so many ways. Uh and uh, this stuff is uh well they're talking about Talos again, uh again about four hundred BC and uh somebody uh used uh, his uh used Talos and, and Aristotle uh for for other games and for a form of algebra algebra that came along. So, you know, you have the, you see a progression. Now, uh, there's one guy, I'm going to use the Latin pronunciation. Uh, he was Greek. He was, born, this is heavily influenced uh, Hercules. Uh, he was around the period of 285 to 222 BC. Uh, he was famous, oh. in, in, famous in, in Egypt. Uh, I can't pronounce his Greek name. It sounds like Kestabi Bios. Uh, and actually, in Latin, it's Kestabi Ibus, uh, of, I don't know what I, that means. I've had Latin. I need to but see he it. invented a, you know him? No, no, I need to, I need to see how it was spelled. Uh, okay, it's K-T-E-S-I-B-I-O-S. Kestabius? I, I have to guess with you. I mean, I'm trying to do my Latin on the, the Latin version. The Latin version okay. ends in I-B-U-S, and a Latin, that's a, it's a noun, but it usually means to or from. Uh, so I don't know wh- whether there, there was uh, something alike, uh, about him. Uh, he was the first head of the museum. Most people say that likely he was the first head of the Museum of Alexandria. I don't know if that means he traveled with Alexander the Great, uh, because Alexander the Great, did all those missions from Macedonia on down through Greece and uh, uh, went through, uh, I think Alexander made it all the way to uh, uh, India. Uh, so they, there are things with it. But this, this guy was so way ahead of his time. This is like a, uh, a simple form of a, a very computer, but he used this water uh, clock, which operated on a float and uh, water flow rate. Uh, to, to, to provide estimates of time uh, uh, to the level water in a, in a container, uh, uh-huh. a whole bunch of things uh, that he did. Uh, and uh, he adopted, at, at some point, humanoid figures uh, to, to to work with the mechanism. Uh, so yeah. you, you see a progress as you go from this, and, you know, even if you get into it to about 1905, uh, you start seeing that, that even some of these early things were uh, had an influence. Another one is that it's common. I don't know how to pronounce it. Abacus, is that saying it right? Uh, it, it was like the beaded thing, Hercules. Uh, I, I, I've seen it. Like some schools still use them to do math. Yeah, when I was a kid, people so were they, using that. They've been, they were able to perform calculations all along uh, Mesopotamia and Egypt. Uh, right. They they put they created boards to go with them around 300 BC. Again in Greece, uh, it was called the Salamis tablet. Uh, uh, and somehow some cultural diffusion, it reached the Aztecs around 1000 uh, uh, BC, uh, and they invented. I can't pronounce this at all. Um, the it note goes on to note that what I'm looking at that the modern Abacus is. Uh, has beads and, and move along rods. Uh, and that one dates at least 
as far back as uh, uh, China in 190 BC. And that would seem, I don't know if uh, Alexander Great made it to China, but somehow cultural flow, uh, you know, allows these things. People are traveling anywhere. Alexander the Great was trying to count, uh, uh, conquer the known world. Uh, and right. uh, he had some, he might have even, I think he had Aristotle with him. I know he had some uh, somebody. Uh, Aristotle, Aristotle was his teacher when he was growing up, his tutor. Uh, he had uh, uh, Efsebius with him. Uh, and uh, uh, Efsebius uh, wrote about him. Was it Eusebius? Uh, hold on. No, Ephemeros. Ephemeros accompanied him. I'm sorry. Eusebius was somebody else. Um, but uh, uh, what was interesting about Alexander was he became thought of as a god during his own lifetime. So That's right. Eusebius and he was very young. About that. And uh, then people started looking at uh, mythology, and they were thinking maybe some of the gods that they had uh, that they were worshiping were actually people at one point. And then the Caesars took that to the next level and made themselves gods. So uh, it, it really shed light on that whole becoming a god thing. <laughs> I think so. I, uh, I used to be able to uh, speak Latin. I had it in high school. And um, uh, I, I had read their poetry, and I, I actually I read Caesar's Gallic Wars, which is much later yeah. in and at that, just by his conquering, I think he got up as uh, Haitians, Haitians' wall in, I guess, Great Britain. Um, you know, he uh, fought the Gauls in France, and he came across German barbarians. Uh, but he, too, brought a lot of people. Maybe that was, and that led to the end of the Roman Empire, because so many people were heading to their cities, that, uh, uh, and, and the leadership kind of got worse as it went along. But you're right. Uh, just those transferred, and then what happened with uh, Israel and Egypt, and in that period, so much was going on with Egypt. Uh, th- these names appear: uh, Moses and uh, the tribes of, of, of Israel, and uh, the people that they came in contact with. Uh, some of our religion may actually come from other re- uh, other religions, words or whatever. There may have been. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of. Uh, some of the Old Testament where the guy uh, was fighting with a slingshot or something. and not, yeah, David, uh, David and Goliath, yeah. That's right. That's what I was thinking. But there, uh, there are a lot of things uh, that are coming out. And uh, I found another one. Uh, I, they abbreviated the term. And uh, um, this is a good – well, let me start with this one. I will never pronounce this guy's name. It's a Nikia Terra Mechanism. And this hair mechanism was an ancient geared computing device that was used to calculate astronomical yes. position. The, now, the can you anti- pronounce his name so I can give anti- this guy credit? Anti- <laughs> the Antikythera device, it's called. They actually found like five of them. They, they, have, they found one, uh, and then they, they discovered a few more. So it, it wasn't common, but Cicero described it. Um, and uh, it calculated astrology and also helped navigate through astronomy. So it was a very practical tool for uh, navigators. One of them was uh, discovered in 1900 in a ship, uh, shiprock off the uh, Greek island of, uh, doesn't say, uh, that's Antiquera, where the name comes from. Yeah. That's right. And, 
Um, they were more sophisticated than the the Swiss mechanisms, the Swiss watches and things uh, of our own age. You know that uh, they helped uh, usher in a new age uh, in Europe. Those things go back to that time. Uh, that was during the reign of the uh, uh, this between Alexander and the Caesars. Well, you know, uh, the uh, Kepler's laws of uh, planetary motion, they are somehow derived out of that that device. So this has had a big effect. And, you know, I'm trying to right. figure out the BCs here because uh, this was around, uh, well, they found the one that was sh- shipwrecked. They found, they believe that was between 150 and 100 BC. So we're actually getting closer down. The shipwreck itself was in 1900. Uh and uh, it, 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 again, led up, we're seeing a forward march. You know, some of these things are devices or songs or whatever, but in, in, in their scope, they are actual beginnings of artificial intelligence. Yes. And, uh, you know, here's another one. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. This is Al Jazeera's Automata. I don't know if that's Latin. Uh he was one that just started getting the idea. He employed like camshafts, crank, uh, uh, crankshafts, uh, escape, uh, escapement wheels, segmented gears, and other sophisticated, sophisticated mechanisms that really weren't up his time. Now, I'm trying to figure out what his time was. Uh, basically, he was hanging around Turkey. Uh, again, 1136 to 1206. Uh, BC. Um, yeah, had did, basically, it amounted to a musical robot. Uh, yes, they, a, they a had uh, moving figures, uh, kind of like when you go to a, a circus, you know, they have like the fortune teller and stuff like that. They had statues that moved mm-hmm. around. Uh, they had like shows where you could go watch things, you know, moving around, anima- like animatronics, uh, as we call them today. Uh, they also had coin dispensed uh, beverages. You could put a coin in and get like a hot beverage. And they had automatic door. They had flush toilets. They had all sorts of stuff in uh, during uh, um, the uh, um, the age between Alexander and the Caesars, the Hellenistic age. Uh, they, you wouldn't think that they had, but they had all this stuff. Uh, they were way ahead. I mean, this, even this thing is it's part of uh, entertainment. Uh, one yes. form of it was a, a humanoid robot striking uh, a symbol uh, at regu- like, in a, like a clock, like we would call today, uh, along with a robotic bird. And what did the bird? The bird chirped as a scribe yes. rotated, marking out time with his pen. Uh, what is it? Uh, this his clock was actually 11 feet tall, uh, a castle clock, uh, clock and... Uh, it featured uh, five automaton musicians. This is really cool. This was really cool. Uh, you know, this is re- it's, it's as much as it's it's equal to what's happening today in uh, uh, in in this form of science. Uh, right. It's way ahead of everything. I, I'm going to jump to Sir Lancelot. I don't know if he takes credit for something, uh, but Lan- he's. Um, he, in his travels, found a uh, an army, a small army of robotic copper knights, entering uh, entering a castle. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is a, this is actually a robot that he encountered. It was a young copper woman holding the keys for the enchantment. Um, this is really expansive. I, I'm not even getting to it. Uh, his thing, of course, Terry and Jessica Riskin wrote, the automaton knights and damsels of uh, Arthurian legend were accompanied by gold, silver, and copper children, satyrs, archers, musicians, oracles, and giants. Now, this is a very large thing. Uh, it's around the period of maybe 1225 uh, to 1250. Uh, he was way ahead of the time, too. And I think, actually, I think I'm, I'm reading this wrong. I think Lancelot, Sir Lancelot was the one battling the knights. So I read this incorrectly. Well, but we're going to have to go to part two because we're down to our last couple of minutes. I love this topic, so I can't wait to pick it up with you again next time. Hercules, if you're around at Barnes and Nobles, get this book. You sound really interesting. The people listening to this, it's selling for half price. I think it was $10. It's a hardcover book. Uh, great. Uh, you know, they've restored some uh, p- pictures of the time uh, and made comparisons to things that they had. Uh, it's very cool. And I just want to okay. say uh, one ahead. thing is people should really start reading like Wired to find out what's going on a more simplistic basis because Wired talks about artificial intelligence and computers and everything else and then work himself up to uh, uh, Harvard Business Review if they want or uh, MIT Review. These are excellent journals. I am hot on this. I I know some of this stuff because I had Latin. You're actually immersed in the culture of Greece and Latin. I yeah. did read Cicero. Uh, fantastic. It brings. I wish I was still in high school. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to read this. <laughs> I I'm, I put links to the book, and now I'm putting links to Wired and uh, the Harvard uh, Harvard Business, Review. What was the Harvard other? Business Review. And the MIT Review, uh, excellent journals on what's going on. And there's, they invite people to come to training, often free training. It's in, obviously, Massachusetts. Wired covers a wide variety of topics. Uh, artificial intelligence is the thing that's going to happen this year, and it's going to take off. I wanted to read something to you before I came on, and it was Charles Dickens. I don't know if you could post that. You know, the worst of times and the best of times. Um, right. It but, really can't. Well, we have we have less. We have ninety seconds. <laughs> well, Charles Dickens wrote this uh, thing, and I, uh, I've read it many times, and I forget what uh, thing. But it talks about the best of times, the worst of times, and for many, we're heading into the best of times, and for many others, based on unemployment, we're heading into the worst of times. From here to Europe to Asia and on. Well, I'm I'm glad we have people like you who are keeping on top of things. Our eyes could be open to what's going on and we could take action. Thank you, Bill. I look Thank forward you. to a continuation of this topic and many others. Um, say hi, Hildy, and have a wonderful night. You too. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed this. Me too. Same here. And thanks to all who joined us at home. Until next time, this is all of us. Wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. 
join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.